Welcome to the Rocking Life podcast, Rocking Life After Divorce. And uh, today we have Jennifer or Jen Anderson. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. Yeah, I really love these interviews to get to know other people and hear their stories because I think a lot of people can learn from people's stories. And you've gone through mm -hmm. divorce, you hit some very big hurdles, and you've overcome them. And by other people hearing these yeah. stories, I think uh, other people can get hope from them and uh, be encouraged. Yeah. And um, you're an entrepreneur and uh, you're helping me with the tech part as well. So that's how we got to know yeah. each other. And you're right. building websites, web funnels, and uh, mom of five grown kids. And you're always looking for new travel adventure in your Jeep. Have you gotten to yeah. know some people in the Jeep arena? I saw you on Facebook. You're oh, out yeah. Jeeping this past weekend. I was. Yeah. The community is amazing. Like it, it's the only car I know of where you buy it and you get a whole community with it. And they're just lovely people who love helping. They're always doing charity events and, you know, parades and drives to help people. And those are my kind of people. So how long have you done that? Uh, I, I just got my Jeep in September. So literally since then, I had no idea. I just wanted one. And it was a lifelong dream. And then I got it and I realized, oh, there's like clubs and everything else. So it's been fun. I think that's awesome. A few of the things that I really learned going through the divorce was to reconnect with old passions, old things. Uh, and yes. I used to play tennis a lot. I played tennis uh, gotcha. in my teens and I played golf. But those are a couple of things that I stopped doing, being married and have uh, so many other responsibilities yeah. and things. And then I started back up about uh, a year and a half ago with tennis. And it's definitely been really, really awesome to connect with people uh, and getting to know people. And we talked a little bit before okay. here about loneliness. And I, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that. But loneliness sure. is definitely a big thing that almost every single person I've interviewed have dealt with. How do you deal with loneliness? And, and uh, that seems like an awesome way to kind of like buy a Jeep and then you get to the, the then you just a get bunch a whole of people. community. That's absolutely right. And I've connected with people along those passions that I did reconnect with, that I did finally have permission or gave myself permission to, you know, to do. I joke about it becoming like there's this divorce survival kit. You get a dog, a tattoo, and a Jeep, and then you're fine. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that's what I did. I definitely did that. And yeah, I mean, it started out with taking the dog to the dog park and you're just re-entering the world or rebuilding a life. And so it started small with me and it was difficult for me to start trusting people again. In my case, people had sort of abandoned me in a sense. Uh, so I didn't want to get back into that. And it was a little fearful, but it started with baby steps with the passions that I developed, you know, with having the dog, going to the dog park and just saying hi to people and having this mutual thing in common and just an acquaintance thing. And then it uh, developed more to where I was more comfortable and my ministry friends are my cohorts. So yeah. that's where it ends with me. I've shared that many times on the podcast about my journey and how lonely I was because I did not see the kids a lot initially. It was definitely a lot of alienation where I didn't see the kids sometimes for months. Yeah. When you go from having a family, I was married for 20 years and then going into yeah 
not having the regular relationship with your kids, it's so difficult. And a lot of depression (laughs) and a lot of people I talked to have gone through suicidal thoughts, et cetera. And uh, it's kind of like a shock for the whole system. And I reached out my counselor because I told her I was so lonely. And she just said, reach out to a a few people that you trust. And uh, that's what I did. And uh, those are my best friends now. It's like, yeah. That's awesome. But it was definitely baby steps because I wasn't comfortable talking about the divorce with my closest friends because I felt like a, a failure. Yeah, you do. I mean, it's a stigma, right? And that's definitely one thing you knew you weren't going to fail at. And then all of a sudden, there's this thing that was like, uh, I couldn't make this work. And for sure, it's embarrassing to talk about. Yeah. And for me, it was almost more difficult to talk about with people that I was close to because I felt Mm. like I failed and especially in church, it's sad, you know, that's a place that sure. you should be able to go and get help. That's but right. that's probably the place that I did not want to go to at all. So I stopped yeah. going to church for a while until I started to be comfortable talking about it. And uh, I know they didn't say that I failed, but I felt that they judged me yeah. uh, because they yeah. talk so much about you're supposed to stay married. Yeah. And, um, you know, even Christians have divorces. Christians are people <laughs> and they yeah. deal with stuff for sure. Uh, yeah, in my case, like I had, I'd grown up in church and I knew that divorce wasn't an option. It was not an option. And even during the most difficult times, I made that choice that I want us to be together forever and I'm willing to fight through it. And I had gone through all of the iterations in my head, you know, of what if he becomes an addict? What if he cheats on me? What if it, and I had made the decision, no, I'm going to stick with it, even in those cases. But I didn't count on him coming between me and God. I didn't uh-huh. count on him becoming an enemy of my relationship with the Lord and, and fighting me there. That was a non-starter. I, how do you fight that? And then in the end, I didn't choose it. He did. So I didn't really have a, you know, we, I fought and fought and fought. Um, but there was just, it was, it was gone. Um, to try to go back to, you know, the church, the church sided with him. So I didn't have any place to go either. And, you know, church should be a place where we're allowed to fail, where it's safe to fail because it's like a home. It's like a family and that's your safe place to fail. And unfortunately it isn't. And I think that there's a lot of fear and stigma around. It's just a cultural thing that has, has been there, but finding people who are willing to listen to your story and willing to listen to you and willing to you know, uplift you is invaluable. I didn't really find that until a few years later, even not finding that core group of people who would necessarily support you. I will say this, and I did forget about this, is I had a a Facebook group of kind of prayer people, you know what I mean? And I reached out to them. I did reach out to them and found some support and they just loved on me a little bit. They didn't know me. We didn't have any kind of friendship or connection So I don't really think of them as my best friends or anything, but they loved a stranger. And that was a lifeline that really was while I was still learning how to be on my own. And so you're right. That's those are important pieces. Yeah, I think so. And it's just like in business. One of the most important things in business is to be willing to fail and to fail well and to learn from it. 
And I definitely agree with you. And, and this is not necessarily a podcast about uh, the Christian faith. I am a Christian. I, I tell everybody that, but it's a podcast for anybody that wants to gain hope. Sure. And uh, I think to learn from different scenarios, I think it's very important. How did you get out of this lonely place? How long did it take? For me, it took at least a year, maybe a year and a half yeah. until I started kind of like gaining traction. I, In many ways, I felt like I was sitting in a rowboat, middle of an ocean and yeah. uh, rowing, and you don't see any progress when you don't yeah. have, like, you don't see the horizon. It's kind of like right. rowing and rowing and rowing. Yeah. And even though I, I had contact with people, I was very lonely uh, for a long time. But then now when I look back five years, six years later, I can see all the progress, but when you're in mm. the middle of it, it's very difficult. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, I lost everything. Like uh, there was nothing left. It was obliterated. <laughs> I mean, anything that I attached my identity to was gone. I wasn't a mom anymore. I wasn't a, a wife. I wasn't a daughter. I wasn't a friend. Like I wasn't, you know, my, my church community, I lost that. I lost everything. My house, I was homeless for a while. Wow. And when you say there's no horizon to, to gauge your progress, that's absolutely correct. I felt that, <laughs> in other words, because you don't know where you're at. You can't gain your direction. And even rowing, you have no idea, am I rowing into oblivion? You know, exactly. <laughs> I have no idea. So, I mean, when you say it took a year, I'm like, dude, it's been 12 years now. No, sorry, nine years now. I, it happened in 2012, but years and years and more loss and more loss and losing my children, like not being able to have them with me full time. That was a huge cornerstone of my life. And not only that, but I felt like I had failed them and it would be better if I just wasn't in the picture because I'm just causing more pain. So definitely reached the point of I just need this to end. I just need this pain to go away. And for me, um, yeah, several years and reached a very low point and reached out to the only people I could think of, which was that prayer group, that group of people online and just some random Facebook group. And they helped a little bit, but ultimately it sort of took this internal grit where I realized, you know what, if I have nothing to lose, then I'm not going to go down easy. Like if I have nothing to lose, then I have nothing to lose. So why not yeah. just in my head, I pictured this guy, this soldier, like in a bunker and he's got this piece of ground and he's the last one left fighting. And he's got like a couple bullets left and a horde of enemy is coming at him. And it's like, you can either use that bullet to check out or you can go down spraying. You know? <laughs> and that's what I decided was I'm not going to go down easy. And I just decided at that point to just, and, you know, something happens when you make that decision, even when you think you can't get your head off the pillow, just making a tiny little shift in your brain saying, all right, I can't do this but I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna. And um, that's sort of was the turning point for me. And little by little, I crawled out of the hole a little bit. And for me, I, I have my faith and that is what, that's, that's the only attribution I can give yeah. um, because I didn't have the strength in myself to, 
to crawl out of. I mean, I, I was in a, a condo. I didn't have enough to pay rent. I didn't have enough to pay the electricity. So, you know, it's August and I'm sleeping next to two open windows, like as naked as I dare be <laughs> trying to keep cool in Texas with nothing. And I'm like, I can't, nothing I'm doing seems to be working. And I'm not used to doing this, having to carry this on my own. But it's funny because when you go through things like that and your worst fears are sort of right there in your face and you get through it, you get to this point where you're like, if I can handle it, then I mean, we can do this. I'll, I survived. I'll, I'll make it, you know? Yeah. Um, in fact, I lost, um, I lost my main gig, my, my job in January and, you know, I had just got a promotion, uh, you know, and I was so excited. I was like, I made it. I'm finally here. I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to worry about all these little things. I can start traveling, all this stuff. And then whammo. And I had to rebuild my business back up again. You know, you know, you can do it, but there's this nagging fear that, oh no, I'm going to be back in my van again and I'm going to lose everything I had built and I'm going to have to go through that pain again. But you've been there before. You've got yeah. some tricks up your sleeve now and yeah. it's not as scary anymore. And you're kind of like, okay, then let's do this. You know, <laughs> well, that's good. And, I, yeah. I think it's awesome when you hear people's stories and the, they've gone through a lot of times when you go through these difficult paths of the journey. And mm -hmm. that's why I call it the Rocking Life podcast, because life is a lot like rock climbing. Uh, I started rock mm -hmm. climbing with my kids over a year ago. When you're going to climb a big mountain, if you're going to climb up Mount Everest, you're going to have some parts that are very easy, but you're going to have some parts that you're going to have to have a guide. You're going to have to have somebody else if you yes. haven't climbed that mountain before. And in life, you're going to have valleys, you're going to have big boulders you're going to have to climb over. And uh, yeah. whenever you climb over those, if you can scale one mountain, you can take a bigger one and then you take a bigger nice. one and you learn nice. from that. And uh, yeah. I think to scale these difficult parts in life builds this muscle inside of you. And I think that it's so much about life. And I learned so much going through the divorce, learning about myself, yeah. about my relationship with my kids, with friends, etc. Yes. Being able to open up, be vulnerable, be, be me. And yeah. uh, it's been an amazing journey. And that's what I want to help people with. That's why I, I want this podcast to be about. I see this as a catalyst, as an opportunity. I did not want the divorce, but afterwards I can see how this actually turned into an opportunity because I could become me. I was forced to become vulnerable, to open up and yeah. uh, make some big, you know, difficult changes. And uh, it's very right. powerful when you can turn this difficult thing into something beautiful. And uh, I yes. truly believe that, you know, people that are listening and, and you know, hearing a story about you being homeless, yeah. all the difficulties, not seeing your kids, people yeah. are going to get motivation and they're going to see if Jen can do it, I can do it too. Yeah. Because you're a podcaster too. And I've heard your story on the podcast yeah. and it's a very powerful story. And when it comes to mm -hmm. another area I want to talk about is uh, alienation, about uh, not being able to see your kids. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, how did you parent through this difficult time? Can you share a little bit more about that? Sure. So my kids were at pretty vulnerable ages when it happened, and I had to make some tough decisions. 
about the possibility of not being able to get custody. Uh, in my case, it was a contentious divorce and my family and friends kind of went with him. <laughs> kind of. I mean, they did. They chose his side of it and that it is what it is. It made it so that I couldn't get full custody. We went through mediation and I got partial custody. But uh, at, during part of that, I was not thriving. I was not surviving. It was trying to rebuild a life and a business in a place that didn't want me anymore. And I felt sort of this push and nudge to move. And that meant possibly leaving my kids, you know, I mean, I knew what that, that cost was, but the, uh, the opposite side of that was I could either stay and not make it, you know, just to be close to them, or I could become strong and be the mom that they needed from a distance. Even I think we need to be open to parenting in different ways. You know, something I think we get stuck in that keeps us dying on the vine, if you will, is traditional thinking. It doesn't have to be this sort of nuclear family in order to be stronger. And one thing that I have seen with my kids is they have started to break out of unhealthy patterns because how things turned out because of moves I've made. And that gets me through. So even when I can't be with them physically, I'm always parenting them by being an example and being the person that I want them to be, that I want them to see. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. That's super hard. You want a parent close to them. You want them with you. That's the ideal situation. But if it comes down to the only way I can be with them is to be fake, or the only way I can be with them is to sacrifice who I am. And I'm not calling for selfishness here. It's not about, oh, I'm just going to make my own decisions. I'm going to be free and the kids, whatever. No, it is about putting them first from sort of an eternal perspective rather than a right now. You know, it's, it's what we do as parents, you know, we, we discipline them risking our friendship with them or how they feel right now so that they grow. And that's what I kept in mind throughout the whole thing. And what kept me kind of alive really is as hard as this is, I know that this is best for all of us in the long run. And it's making sure that they knew that I'm not going off, just going to have a life. Like, this is not what I want. This is not what I've chosen but we're going to create something beautiful here. And them knowing that kept them believing in me, believing in our family, even though it was split. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, I I made sure that, uh, and I didn't do it perfectly all the time, for sure. Like not to make it about why we didn't get along or why the family split or things like that. I did not want to disrupt their relationship with him, but I just wouldn't put on a face or fake anything with them. And I think that they began to respect that. I think that they began to see that that's the reality of life and how we can grow through even worse situations. And that's my favorite part about this. And and when I say that, like, there's nothing good, but yeah. But there is something good because when you can break off bad behaviors and bad patterns in life, then. Uh, that's okay. very, very important. And uh, 
I always try to find the gold nuggets in difficult situations. And uh, I always try to find the positive. A lot of people have a hard time forgiving. I have a quite easy time to forgive. And I think that's one of the the keys to go through divorce is really to forgive your spouse or your ex-husband or ex-wife and then look for now and the future. And uh, even though it's difficult, a few things that I, you know, with the kids that I think that turned out really well, even though I had a lot of times where I didn't see the kids. And uh, Mm -hmm. I tried to, one thing that I say is you have to become creative. And it's like you say, look outside the box. Parenting doesn't have to be that you're in the same home. Uh, Parenting is being an example, but also to really try to connect on whatever way you can connect. What I did, I uh, initially, I didn't see the kids uh, because I traveled back and forth to Sweden. I didn't have a green card. I wasn't able to live in the same country as my my kids and work. Then uh, my kids, three out of four, they played online games. So we were like in four different places playing video games. I was in Sweden. They were here in Texas. We were all talking to each other because if you're just going to call after five, 10 minutes, you kind of like run out of things to talk about. And, but <laughs> but uh, w- when you're on a game, you kind of like hang out together and you just uh, chat sure. a bit here and there. So for me, we did that the was... same thing. We did the oh, same yeah? thing. What and game that... did you play? League of Legends. Nice. I did you Minecraft. Okay. I don't know. I don't know that one. No. And uh, my kids, three out of four, they play it all the time. Yeah. And it was a very big learning curve because you play on teams. <laughs> it's five against five. It's kind of like a hockey match, a virtual hockey okay. match. And each player has uh, different skills and you can gain other skills depending on what player nice. you, you play. And But it's like, I was not very good, but I had fun. <laughs> no, it's true. I played for right. about a year and a half with them online. Okay. And then I was able to uh, spend more time here. Yeah. But uh, to be creative is, is definitely one of the things to like think out of this box and what do they love to do? My oldest son started rock climbing last yeah. January. Yeah. And then um, I bought the membership for them. And then we all started, all four. And we That's do it nice. all the time. Uh, so yeah. we've done it for a year now, a little on and off. And um, they have yoga there too. So we do yoga sometimes. We did that yeah. a couple of days ago together. It is really cool. But just kind of like figure out what's their interest. Do they have sports that they like? Or being this little detective, I usually say. And, and uh, That's cool. So have you experienced no, anything agree. like that? Yeah, we did. Uh, we started playing Minecraft and I run a Minecraft server for adults now. They've moved on because they just do. I still play it. <laughs> but, you know, I think you're absolutely right. And I think you have to make it about them and listening to them. You know, my girls went through that preteen thing where they called and talked for hours about just they're going to listen to this and laugh, but cause they know, cause <laughs> they could call their sister and talk about it and she'd be all into it. But me, I'd be like, <laughs> I don't want to hear about this boy or that girl or, you know, all that stuff, but you still have to make the effort. You have to engage them and you have to sort of put aside your, your own like preteen drama what? Yeah. And, and be into them and let them talk and let them talk it through and let them talk to you about 
their innermost things. And I think that that's, you know, what I love most about my connection with them is they know to call me when they're in trouble. They know to call me when they need prayer. They know to call me when they need to talk through something that's dear to their heart or, and that is precious to me. Like I would not trade that for anything. And we did the thing where it was like, okay, the most important thing is let's make memories. Let's yeah. let's find our own way to make memories and let's find our, cause I, I didn't want them to have only tears to look back on or only fears or whatever. I wanted them to find good things. And what's funny is there was a year or so there where, I was essentially homeless. I was living in a basement of a farmhouse out in the mount, the hills of Tennessee and literally had to wake up. Like it pretty much had dirt floor. <laughs> and I had to wake up in the middle of the night to feed this wood burning furnace that heated the entire house, including the people above us. It was a mess. Like it was terrible. But we went, we spent some holidays there. I mean, the kids got lice. They didn't get it from me. They came with it, but we'll just leave that. (laughs) But I mean, just terrible, terrible moments, but we laugh about them now. And there were bonding moments that, you know, we went through this horrible thing together and just dealing with that and not sugarcoating it and and being like, I I mean, I couldn't get presents for them. I had somebody donated some little coloring books and just pathetic little presents, you know, that I I could give them. But we, again, we look back at that stuff and laugh together. And we have that sort of, man, we've been through it, haven't we? And that bonds us together. And that feels pretty strong. So yeah, yeah, I agree. You just have to make sure they know that they're loved and cared for beyond what's going on. Exactly. that, That they're still a priority. Yeah, I I wasn't homeless, but I lived in Airbnbs for many years because I had a roommate back in Sweden. And then here, initially, I I stayed at Airbnbs when I was here. And then I got a roommate. It was a a guy. I I barely knew him from uh, my Bible study. And he had just uh, gone through divorce and uh, he just got an apartment and he, he asked, let's go for lunch. And then he, nice. he asked, do you, do you want a roommate? Because he knew I was just staying at Airbnbs all the time when I yeah. was here. And um, then he roommated for a year and a half. And he's one of my nice. best friends now. And that oh, was also it. a very big part of going through the loneliness and, and starting yeah. to reach out and being able to be vulnerable with someone else and sharing about yeah. my difficulty. Great. That was very, very powerful. But I've also had those experiences when I've been at Airbnb celebrating birthday, yeah. celebrating Christmas at somebody else's yeah. house, living in somebody else's house, just renting a yeah. room. One of the things that I think this uh, divorce have actually helped the kids is to bond together. All four mm-hmm. are so close. I don't know any yes. other kids that are so close and yeah. bonded together. They, they would do anything for each other. And uh, they hang out, even though it's a big uh, age gap because my sons are 25 and 23 and my daughters are yeah. 18 and 16 and you know a 25 year old and a 16 year old they don't have that much in common Correct. especially a few years yeah. ago but they still uh, love to hang out together and, and they root for each other yeah. so yeah, i think that's, that's very awesome. awesome i love seeing that too I, I feel the same way like they are they're united in a way that you know not even I am, am with them. And I love that because yeah. that was a concern, you know, because, yeah. you know, two of them left pretty early and the other three are stuck there. And 
they were kind of pitted against each other. The older two were my favorite or something. And that wasn't true, of course, but there was, there were obstacles, but they stuck it through and they just, they adore each other. And that's all I ever wanted for them was to have, you know, one another. So that's cool. Yeah. So another questions I had, um, what have you learned through for yourself? I know I have learned mm-hmm. so much about myself. To one of the biggest learnings and, and that I'm going to keep the rest of my life is to be able to be authentic, to be able to be me, to be able to talk about the difficult things, not with everybody, but uh, to be sure. able to share with a, a few friends that you trust. I have two or three friends that I can share anything with. When I go through okay. strife, I can ask them, okay, can you help me? Or what do you think about this? Etc. Yeah. What was the biggest learnings going through the divorce and, and the la- ever since the divorce? So much. I think that that destabilization that happens, it opens the door for you to face your demons and for you to face those things, those patterns in your life that were probably destructive and probably contributed. You know, it, no divorce, it happens in a bubble or happens in a vacuum. Yeah. And um, discovering you know, I did a lot of research. I did a lot of diving into what is happening here because it didn't make sense. And it was so odd to me, but getting that distance allowed me to see parts of myself that I wasn't in love with and did not want to continue perpetuating. And some of that was people pleasing, you know, a lack of boundaries. It was a lack of decisiveness. It was being so afraid of what people thought and how that kind of thinking and those patterns allowed me to be in a situation where I wasn't safe and the situation wasn't ideal because I have to take responsibility for that. I didn't see things I should have seen or I allowed things I shouldn't have allowed. And that's kind of, um, it's a growing thing. And I kind of love being this age Because, you know, when I was a kid, it was all about everybody else. And it was all about, like, I didn't even know how to see myself unless I bounced it off of someone else first. And now to be in this place where it's like, I feel like I have a a foundation of who I am and it isn't perfect. And I don't expect that to be perfect, but I love seeing the growth and I love the journey I'm on. And that is so freeing. It's so freeing. It's just, I'm not a puppet. I'm not bound by someone else's ideals or someone else's expectations or that sort of thing. I'm allowed to say no. Yeah. And, and it's healthy to say no. And it's important for other people. Like I can help other people better if I learn how to say no. Yeah. And that's counterintuitive to the way I grew up where it was like, Oh, what's that person going to think of you? And you have to, you know, it's always about someone else's opinion. And that is such a, it's not just limiting, it's crippling. Yeah, It's crippling and it allows you to get into situations that are not good for you or the people around you and stuff. So that was super awesome. You know, I I recognized a lot of selfishness that I had to deal with as self-centeredness that I had to, you know, really face and, I'm glad. I mean, sometimes that sounds scary to face the things that are, you know, going on in your heart that may not, that may have contributed to some strife and some, you know, some bad stuff, but 
ultimately we want freedom from those things. And so you don't get freedom when they're hidden. You get freedom when they're, when they come to the surface and, yeah. and as messy as it can be to face those things, that mess is a good thing. You know, if you ever done spring cleaning in your house and you got to clean out all the cupboards, it's a mess first. And it's the same way with our lives. And so divorce can be, like you said, an amazing catalyst to throw all, you know, to open the shutters and to open the cupboards and say, all right, what is it that I need to deal with? And what do I need to clean out here? I'm okay with the mess for a little bit. I'm okay with that destabilization for a, for a minute. And I can get through this because I'm going to put back things, only the things I need and want, and I'm going to get rid of the rest. So that's been my journey so far. And it's still going on. Like, what, what do I bring into my life? And what do I you know, keep out. And so I hope that I continue that. I hope that I don't have a desire or need so great that I forget to have that filter in place. No, this is what I want in my life. And this is, you know. Yeah. I love that. That is an awesome uh, uh, explanation and and the journey that you love the journey you're on. That's very similar to me. This journey that started with a divorce, that was the bottom of of this journey and the rock climbing journey and then yeah. to go through life and then persevere going through these hills and uh, valleys in life which life always is it's going to be valleys ahead yeah. it's going to be hills ahead to climb but as you gain strength in this this valley i think you're building this muscle to persevere and continue on this amazing exactly. journey and, uh, yeah, that muscle analogy is perfect because if you, you know, anytime you start a new workout routine, it's sore and it's painful and you don't yeah. want to do it, but you, the more you use it and the more you do it, definitely the more you build muscle to be able to handle things that you couldn't, you didn't, you didn't dream about before. Yeah. Yeah. Now, another thing that I feel is very important is to be able to forgive. Is it something that you had to deal with? Oh, look forgiveness is not a one-time deal. It's layers upon layers and you continue to deal with it and continue to forgive. And it's definitely a choice. It's definitely not an emotion. Um, It definitely is not a, um, you know, something that you do because someone you think someone deserves it or anything like that. It's literally a detachment and it's a, it's a letting someone off the hook from, you know, your little, your little, record keeping book, you know? Um, and yeah, I do it all the time. I have to continually forgive because I don't want any of that crap in my heart. I don't want, otherwise they're still controlling or they're still a part of my life or they're still, they still have some say in my heart and I don't want that. So, um, you know, my ex and my parents, all those people that, um, may not, you know, that I have, visions of not doing what I want them to do or whatever, they have a right to their choices. They have a right to their life and they have a a responsibility to themselves and to their creator that I'm not a part of. I'm not in that loop. It doesn't have anything to do with me. And they're not responsible for the life I'm living right now. They don't have a say in the life that I have right now. And it doesn't matter who tries to come in and disrupt that when you put up that boundary and you say, listen, I'm detaching from this. 
And I don't wish you any ill. I, I hope you have a wonderful life. I hope that you have a relationship with your kids and your grandkids. I hope that you have the very best that God has for you because that can only help me. <laughs> you yeah. know? That can only help everybody. So of course I don't want, I don't want them to suffer. And that that's a hard place to get to for sure because there's pain involved, but that pain again is not, it doesn't have to be permanent and it doesn't have to be like this pebble in your heart. That's just, you're walking on and it's hurting. You can detach from that and say, listen, they don't, they don't have, I'm not in that loop anymore. And this is a, this is a new life. And this is something that is going to be great for everyone. And I can't, I can't be in charge of what they choose. I can't, I can't affect that at all. I have no control over that. And I don't want control over that. Um, And I hope that they move on and that they find that same forgiveness because it is freeing. And like I said, you know, they'll do something and uh, it'll get my ire back up and I'll be like, "Eh." but you just have to make that choice again and again. And sometimes it, not just that they do something sometimes it's just a matter of peeling off layers of you didn't know this hurt as much as it did. And, you know, something comes to the surface that that's been buried or that wasn't, it wasn't time for you to deal with that. That happens, you know, just really quick going on this trip to the jeeping thing. I ended up camping by myself for most of it. Um, long story, but (laughs) it was really good. It was very cathartic. I was by myself on a mountain in my Jeep and my Jeep is like my safe place. You know what I mean? It is, it is, there's something very spiritual about my Jeep. I don't know (laughs) what it is, (laughs) but, um, you know, things came up in that solitude. And when I'm just kind of thinking through things or facing things. In fact, it felt a little bit like when I was living in my van and I was homeless. So it was almost like I had to face some of those things I had for the sake of survival, I had pushed down. Do you know what I mean? And so they were allowed to come to the surface and God pointed them out and what to deal with. And, and I had to forgive some things I didn't know I was harboring. I, I was holding on to. And I had to forgive myself a little bit more. And I had to kind of reclaim, you know, that whole atmosphere, that whole kind of living in a van down by the river as not being this tragic thing, but being something I want to do because I'm traveling and I'm on an adventure. You know what I mean? Does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and so I think forgiveness. Forgiveness is a decision. That's what, what I feel. And yeah. to be quick to forgive, it's, uh, I think it's very important. And it's not about talking to the other person. It's just saying, yeah. uh, for me, it's just saying, I forgive that person or forgive yeah. this person yeah. uh, of something that hurt me. Because yeah. it, you might not feel like it, but it's, oh, uh, the feelings feel like will come afterwards <laughs> a lot That's of times. Right. But the more you do it, it's also like a muscle. The, the, the more you yeah. train to be quick to forgive, yeah. uh, it's very, very freeing. Instead of yeah. harboring a bunch of uh, difficult uh, history, and yeah. uh, then I think you tend to live in the past instead of living in, yeah. in, in the now. That's and good. if you live in the past, it's like you can't change the past. Mm-mm. It's impossible. Mm-mm. And uh, it's just going to hold you back as a person if you keep harboring a bunch yeah. of 
uh, unforgiveness about people because that, those things are going to go around in your head and yeah. you're living in the past. Yeah. That's, that's not I haven't very got healthy. time for that. You know, exactly. You can't have-, have an awesome journey if no. you're going to be harboring a bunch of ill uh, to a bunch of people. No. And uh, I think divorce, especially if you have a contentious divorce, uh, it's very, very important to be quick to forgive and go mm-hmm. go on and look look uh, towards you know what yeah. can I do now and and look forward in, in the future. I think it's important too to say that forgiveness doesn't mean you trust them again. No, it no, doesn't no. It has mean nothing you invite to do with them that. In, in their life. In your life, I mean, I can't have them in my life. It's not healthy for me. Yeah. And again, because I don't want to live in the past, and I don't want that. I don't want that bleeding into my future. So that's a part of it. And that's okay. That's just fine. And it doesn't matter if they're blood and it doesn't matter what, you know, everybody else might say is an obligation. If they're not healthy, they're not healthy. So I think that separating that forgiveness doesn't mean that you have them over for Thanksgiving. It has nothing to do with it. No, no. So it's, it's just for you. Uh, Yeah. Now, we're going to round off this awesome podcast, uh, and I have a, an a ending question that I have uh, that I ask everybody. Uh-oh. And uh, it's uh, mainly, uh, you know, what w- if you have somebody that's going through a divorce now, maybe it's just uh, they've, they've uh, signed the papers and it's a mm. similar situation as you were, were going through. Uh, what would you say to that person? Well, I would say that... Um, in your head, you're going through all the things that you're losing and you do lose them. And there's a grieving period and there's mourning and that's okay. And it takes as long as it takes because it's a death. It's a death of all of your hopes. It's a death of maybe your community. It's a death of, of your your stability and sometimes your financial stability, all of that stuff. And there's no, making light of it. Like it is what it is. And it's very sad and you're going to grieve. And sometimes even your worst fears will actually come true. When I was facing the possibility that, you know, my action could lead to divorce. I remember thinking I'm going to end up in a hotel working at a diner by the highway and I'm just going to hear highway noises and it's just going to be me and I'm not going to have my kids. Like for some reason, that image was the worst (laughs) that I could think of. The the incredible loneliness was my greatest fear. And it happened. I literally lived in a hotel by a highway and it was the most lonely sound I could think of. And you know what? It it didn't kill me. It was okay. I didn't stay there. It was fine. Um, that may seem trite to some people. Some people have bigger fears and, you know, obviously things are difficult to survive, but, um, it's going to be okay there. You are going to rebuild a life. You're going to rebuild it and it's not going to look the same, but it's give it the possibility of being possibly even greater of absolutely looking for a way that it's, that it brings freedom to not just you, but to your kids and to your ex-spouse like release them to be the person they're supposed to be yeah and you can detach from that and be okay and that it can be even greater when you give it the chance um but that doesn't mean it's easy it doesn't mean it's light and you're gonna have to give yourself some space to do some heavy grieving (laughs) you know and that's okay no i think those are very very good um 
ending, and uh, I, I usually talk about the, the grieving process again. Uh, my dad passed away over 20 years ago, way too early. Mm. Uh, and that was a lot of grieving, but it was an end to yeah. the, because he, I knew, you know, I'm a Christian. I, I, I know that I'm going to meet him again. And uh, yeah. it was a period of mourning. But when you have a contentious yeah. uh, divorce, and if it goes on and on and on, yeah. that can be very difficult emotionally to deal with it and it's sense. like a, a mourning over a longer time i think yeah and um because the person is still alive and uh, you still can't have any uh, i did not get any closure no, etc yeah and, boy uh, that's a good point too and i'd love to touch on that if we could but you know i mean for time's sake but yeah you don't you don't you have to no, be okay no, with share, share about it no i just yeah it was just you want it, you expect it. If some reason we think in our heads that that's going to heal something and you have to, you have to become really okay with no closure that, yeah. that there's no such thing. There really is no such thing. No. I don't know why we think that that's some ideal. There isn't any such thing, but you have to be like, become so secure in yourself and where you're going that you're okay. That it's, yeah. that that's, that's over here, you know, and this is over here. And my eyes are not focused on that. You know, my eyes are just not, I don't know. It's almost like you just have to stop needing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Initially, because I, I did not initiate the divorce. I didn't want the divorce. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to go away from, you know, your best friend for a long, yeah. long time, we were yeah. best friends. And then going into a very difficult uh, divorce, where it's uh, it's definitely a lack of closure mm -hmm. initially. Uh, I I've come to the point now that I, I don't need that, but yeah. uh, it, it was definitely the first couple of years. It was something that I thought a lot about. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, was uh, why 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 why? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But hey, Jen, this has been so good. Uh, I know that a lot of people are going to get yeah. encouraged. They're going to get uh, see these uh, when when you hear people's stories like that. And well, that's what people do. They connect with a story, sure. the story of Jen, uh, Jennifer, or Jenny. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, to hear your story. It's very you know, and to see you now, to see you yeah. smile, yeah. Uh, even though you had to go through a very difficult period in sure. your life. Uh, I think brings hope to people. That's what hope my so. my hope is for people that listen. And um, uh, so we're going to round off that and just say a big thank you to you uh, for for being thank willing you. to share your story and being open sure. and and uh, transparent. That's been awesome. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I love it. <laughs>